today, I want to invite you all to listen with childlike attention as I tell you a story. I want to tell you the story of a church called Park Road Baptist Church. I'll start that story in just a moment, but one word of introduction to this series. Over the last several years, Amy and I have enjoyed finding ways to preach together, to divide the sermon time. Um, it's given us two different angles to come at uh, for any of those uh, sermons, and this summer we want to do the same. I will speak probably first each Sunday, giving you, um, like today, some facts and figures, some details um, as we survey the life of Park Road Baptist Church. So I want to step with you you through the history of Park Road Baptist Church today, and then Amy will step up and offer a homily based on the text. Now, one word of apology and apology to Amy and explanation to you for, for the text chosen. You know, I'm responsible for doing our long-range worship planning, and so when I put together this series last summer at my preacher camp, I had this idea, let's talk about who we are as a congregation, where we've been, what's important to us, what's distinctive about us. And then I thought, well, you know, we're Baptists, so we have to use the Bible, so what are we going to preach for those sermons? Um, this will not be expository preaching. Um, Amy's, in particular, Amy's preaching professor would hate this style of preaching. He said, you pick the text, and you read the text, and you let the text speak to you, and you go whatever direction the text uh, uh, tells you to go. For this whole summer, I've chosen the direction we're going to go, and then I've plopped a text in there with it. And some of them are kind of interesting. Um, you, you will make note, they're all on the back of the bulletin, um, and so, some of them fit a little better than others. I thought about using the book of Proverbs. I meant to go back and look over the last 20 years how many times Amy and I have preached from the book of Proverbs, and it, it will not be many times, although there's a lot of wisdom in Proverbs and so I had this idea about using Proverbs. So after I had chosen all of the themes for the Sundays, I went back and said, let me find a proverb that goes with each one of those. Um, and as I say, I've given Amy an interesting challenge for a couple of those Sundays as we look at the book of Proverbs, try to gain some wisdom, and ask the question throughout the summer, is our house built on wisdom? So with that explanation, hear now the story of Park Road Baptist Church. From the cover of your bulletin, in 1949, persons living in the growing neighborhood near Avondale Avenue and Park Road saw a need for a new Baptist church to serve the area. Mr. and Mrs. H.G. Ashcraft Sr., that's Hugh Ashcraft's grandparents, Mr. and Mrs. H.G. Ashcraft Sr. gave a lot on Park Road to become a site for worship. 84 persons organized as a congregation on December 10, 1950, and petitioned the Mecklenburg Baptist Association to recognize the Park Road Baptist Church. Important leadership and experience were provided to the new church by members from the four mother churches, First Baptist, Myers Park Baptist, Pritchard Memorial Baptist, and St. John's Baptist. Maybe the last time those four Baptist churches worked together in any effort. Initial services were held in the newly completed Park Road Elementary School. That's how we got our start. When Park Road Baptist Church was formed in 1950, the Ashcraft Farm was in the process of being converted from pasture land to neighborhood. We were on, we're sitting where a farm used to be. Charlotte was pressing southward, and this rural tract, which had until then been outside the city limits, 
was fertile ground for harvesting souls. Charlie Milford called as Park Road's first pastor on Easter Sunday, 1951, would tell you that he came to Park Road Baptist Church as an evangelist. His calling, I've heard him say many times, was to save souls like, uh, like brands from the burning. To save souls like brands from the burning. The mission field in which this church was planted was, in fact, fertile ground. The new Ashbrook Neighborhood Association neighborhood was growing at a new shopping center across the street um, on or near land from the farm owned by the father of Billy Graham had increased the attractiveness of the area, especially for young families. The church grew quickly from those first 84 organizing members to number more than 800 a decade later. The church built its first building in 1952. Our current youth building was a fellowship hall that served as a sanctuary until the new chapel building was built two years later. By the early 1960s, with another decade of growth to church and community, what we now call Milford Chapel was supporting two Sunday schools and two worship services every Sunday morning. So plans were made to construct the current sanctuary, which was dedicated on June 7, 1964, with a capacity crowd of 900 people in this room, including the choir loft and the large narthex for overflow seating. A promotional brochure for the sanctuary building uh, boasted total seating capacity of 1,250 persons. The classrooms to my left and the church offices to my right were originally designed as transepts of a cross-shaped sanctuary. When the space was needed, the large accordion doors you used to see right here were opened up and they went into those pocket doors you can still see on the sides that opened up into the, to the sanctuary. The room would seat 1,250 people, including the choir and the narthex, which they called the gold room at the time. As the church continued to grow, a fourth building with educational facilities for 600 children was completed in 1958. That year, a new kindergarten was established, and in 1969, the church opened a daycare center providing quality care five days a week. The Child Development Center, now our oldest ongoing ministry in the community, serves 125 children ages six weeks to five years every day of the week on this campus. When this sanctuary was opened in 1964, the chapel was converted to a fellowship hall and several small classrooms became a kitchen, the pantry, and the dishwashing room. And that building functioned in that capacity until our community center was built in 2007. And two years later, we were able to uh, renovate the chapel space. On March 11, 2012, we named and rededicated the building as Milford Chapel. Charlie Milford would have hated that. He didn't believe in naming anything after anyone. Uh, he was rolling over in his grave that day, but it was appropriate to call that space the Milford Chapel. Now, I wanted to give you a sketch of Park Road's history through the construction of five buildings not because brick and mortar has ever been the most important feature of this church, but because those physical structures do point to the church's history within a new and growing community 
and a commitment of the church to provide physical structures that match its vision for work within the community. The dedicatory program printed for the opening of this sanctuary begins with these words. Her buildings reflect the character and the ministry of a church. From the beginning, this church has been committed to reverent worship and a broad ministry to all the community. I believe those words to be true. Park Road Baptist Church, from the very first day, has been committed to reverent worship and ministry to the community, worship and service. Now, we'll talk later this summer about worship and music, and we'll dedicate another Sunday to the ongoing missions we engage in this community. But as we focus on the history of this church, you need to be aware that even though Park Road was planted as a Southern Baptist church, part of that denomination's broad evangelical movement to save souls from hell, there was something different here from the very beginning. The church was planted in conservative southern soil, but from its very first days, there was a seed that would mature into a very different kind of church. In that dedicatory program, the young pastor of the then 14-year-old church said, the decision on December 10th, 1950, to invite all Christians to share in the Lord's Supper became typical of a person-centered ministry in a church willing to be different for the sake of a relevant ministry. 1950. Charlie Milford did not become the church's first pastor until the following year. So even before those 84 organizing members called their first pastor, they had made a decision that would set a very Baptist course for a very Baptist church. All would be welcome to the Lord's table. Everyone. Now, 73 years ago, that was a radical position for a Southern Baptist church to take. Even divorced persons could lead in this church, could take communion in this church from the very first day. Even divorced persons. Can you imagine that? What a radical stand Park Road Baptist Church had taken. And even children, baptized or not yet baptized, would be invited to the Lord's table. The history of Baptist, as we will discuss next week, is a history of willingness to go against the flow, to take dissident positions, to diverge from any prevailing orthodoxy the way that seems right, the text we'll use next week, for a way that seems better. The seed was planted, and for 73 years, this congregation has lived into its Baptist and specifically Park Rodian heritage. In 1955, the church constructed a building over Labor Day weekend, a building over Labor Day weekend they built on this campus. It was called the Brown Building, and the Brown Building became the home of an educational program for special needs children a program that operated two hours every Sunday morning for more than 30 years. I don't have the full history of that, but I remember years ago, Mary Edens, who volunteered in the church uh, office and knew everything about the church. Something came up and we said, Mary, tell us about such and such that went on in worship and, or a minister or something. And she said, I don't know. 
For all those years, I spent two hours every Sunday in the children's program with the special needs kids. And so during the Sunday school hour and during worship, there was a whole group of folks who led special needs children in the Brown Building. In 1958, the Roswell chapter of Alcoholics Anonymous opened, and, we cel- and, and that group celebrated more than 50 years of service before the chapter closed a few years ago. In December 1969, the church's long-standing involvement in interracial programs was continued with the formation of the 10 Church Baptist Metropolitan Ministries. That association continues today in the work of the United Baptist Association and our support of Hope Chapel, which is adjacent to the Uptown Men's Shelter. In 1972, the church adopted a policy it called non-coercive baptism stating baptism by immersion is provided for those not previously baptized and offered to all others. Offered, but not required. That policy, along with the affirmation of women in all roles of leadership, led the church to being disfellowshipped from the local Baptist Association. Don't you love the word disfellowshipped? Now, somewhere around this time, Charlie Milford developed a friendship with Carlisle Marney, the iconoclastic Baptist minister at Myers Park Baptist Church at the time. And that seed of dissent, which had been planted in the individualism of those original members, was watered and took root in the friendship between Carlisle Marney and Charlie Milford. As we were told it, Charlie and his church were liberated together. As Charlie would tell it, it all began when one Sunday school class decided to study what the Bible says about hell. He took it upon himself to engage the issue, and in his intense studies, he determined, as he often said it later, that eternal damnation is a lie. Now, once Charlie and that group, which was central to the church's life and leadership, once they were able to reject a biblical literalism that led to the literalism of eternal physical torment in hell, well, the door was open for considering many other issues. Charlie says that's where it all began. The church's stand on baptism its inclusion of women in all roles of leadership, its work in civil rights, all followed from that initial discussion. Before he resigned in 1983, long before most people even knew what the letters LGBT stood for, Charlie was welcoming the homosexual community to his church. He loved to tell how the church would meet for fellowship supper on Wednesday nights and have knock-down, drag-out fights over the, the issues of the day, But he said we would walk out hand in hand. Now the truth, I think, is somewhat different. And I think it's important to state that clearly today. And taking difficult stands on the social issues of the day, stands that I think could be regarded as very Baptist, though not very typically Baptist, and though not very popular in the common culture, many folks just walked out. From the day a 1,000-seat sanctuary was dedicated at full capacity, the church began to define itself over and against a conservative culture. To my knowledge, this room never seated a full-capacity crowd again. Being Baptist, it turns out, defined this church, but at the cost of a lot of members in the process. 
when Park Road called Amy and Russ Dean to serve as co-pastors to become the fifth pastors of this church. Again, it was being true to the heritage that was planted long ago by 84 Baptists whose daring example exceeded even their own vision of faithfulness. About the time we were interviewing with Park Road, we were also talking to another church. and That church had been through a bit of controversy, and the committee said to us when they called to say thanks but no thanks, they said, you know, given where we've been, we're afraid to take a chance on something different like co-pastors. Marin Bingle, who chaired the search committee that called us, later told us that given a similar situation at Park Road, the search committee here had said, we don't feel like we could not afford to take a chance given where we were. Now, I think those words speak well for the history of Park Road Baptist Church. And I hope we will live into that heritage, always being a church that is willing to take a chance, being faithfully willing to risk something big for something good. That's our story. May it be so. The Proverbs are often short and sweet. Better is a neighbor who is nearby than kindred who are far away. Iron sharpens iron, and one, and one person sharpens the wits of another. You've heard the ancient story. Two things. First, when we moved to Louisville, Kentucky in 1989 for seminary, that was far, far from home, and I did not want to leave home because my father had taught me that family was everything, and it is, well, almost everything. I didn't know that I would meet people upstairs and next-door neighbors that would become family for me. And they changed me and moved me and grew to know the me I was becoming even more than my family of origin did or even does. So I totally have lived this first short and sweet truth. Better is a neighbor who is nearby than kindred who are far away. In so many ways... You have become my nearby kindred. This summer, we always match our robes, but this summer, our uh, stoles, but this summer we've decided to mix it up a little bit and wear different things. And as I was thinking about this passage, I went to my stole collection and pulled this one out because this is a stole that some of you wrote prayers to me couple of years ago when I went through lung cancer and a big surgery and was out for six weeks and Rosemary Burton took all the prayers and put them on this stole for me to wear this is what a neighbor who is nearby is better than kindred who are far away means second I have not had a sharp knife for over 17 years that's how long ago my father died, and he was my knife sharpener. 
There was a set of brick steps, just two steps, leading down into what was our playroom, which had been the garage years before and converted into this extra room before we bought our first house in Charlotte. When my father would come for a visit to see his grandsons, let's be honest, he would take our knives and sit down on those brick steps that led from the kitchen into the playroom, and he would sharpen them. Iron to iron or brick to steel, whatever it takes, a cook's kitchen is greatly enhanced by sharp knives. But there's a talent to sharpening a knife. You can make it more dull if you're not careful. She speaks from experience. My dad had the talent of knife sharpening. Oh, I have the wand that sticks down in the knife case that sits on the counter. And when I pull the knife out every day, I use it. I run the blade along that metal rod, and it helps. But it's not as good as my dad did it. As much as we are looking forward to this summer of Proverbs, it's clear we're going to have to take some creativity and some new ways of reading to catch the take-home point. Today, as we look at our particular church's history, what is the take-home from these little lessons? I think the take-home is we need one another to be like kin and to keep each other sharp. We need one another to make sure that we remain cutting edge. We need one another, period. There are so many churches in town. It seems like practically one on every corner, and many of them are very similar to one another. It takes work to be different. And not different just for the sake of being different, but different for the sake of welcome. Different for the sake of amazing grace. Different for the sake of social justice. Different for the sake of love. Different for the sake of all our welcome in this place. Different for the sake of inclusion, inclusion of women, and people of color, and LGBTQIA+, and inclusion of people of different faiths or no faith. It's not by accident that we are who we are. The group gathered in this place right here this morning, we have inherited a very special and a very precious gift and it is incumbent upon us for iron to sharpen iron, for us to be kin in this place and sharpen each other so that 25 and 50 and 100 years from now, there might still be a group of people gathering together as Park Road Baptist Church in the name of Jesus Christ to be different enough with a message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that brings people in without judgment or fear or condemnation. But that won't happen without effort and intentionality. 
It would be so easy to become complacent and comfortable with who we are and forget that our kind of church takes real work, hard work. It's a challenge to push the envelope and think outside the box of traditional religious thought. It's not easy being the outsider. But we have real good company, though, since Jesus himself lived there, outside the religious bounds initiating the very terms of inclusion that we embrace today. You do understand what Russ said earlier, that one reason, among several reasons, that we no longer have 900 to 1,000 people here is precisely because of our inclusion. You do understand that, don't you? It's such an irony. All are welcome is a turnoff to the majority of Christians in our culture. If we want to remain who we have been and who we are, then let me tell you this. There has never been a better time to be Park Road. I told recently in a newsletter that I keep this sign now faded on my desk. It says, there has never been a better time to be the church. I have to read that every single day that I come to work. There's never been a better time to be the church. So keep being the church. But then it dawned on me, I think since it's faded, I need to rewrite it. It's not that it's never been a better time to be any church. It's that it's never been a better time to be Park Road. That will take us being intentional to the vision, to the history that we have been handed. I want to read you a letter that we wrote to the church that went in the back of the program for our 50th anniversary worship celebration. So, on December the 10th, 2000, we had been here all of two months. Everything had already been planned for this slick worship service. We didn't have to write one thing or do one thing or make any plans. When they made the plans for this service, they weren't even sure new pastors would be in place. So we had nothing to add, though I think somebody on the committee said, hey, would y'all write a letter for the back of the thing and tell us something that might inspire us for the next 50 years? Well, we read it this weekend, and I don't know that I've looked at this letter since the day we wrote it, but it still rings true. So I read it to you today, June 11, 2023. Dear members of Park Road Baptist Church, what a joy it is for us to be able to participate in a service such as this. We're thrilled to be a part of the rich history of Park Road Baptist Church and to be given the rare opportunity to serve together as your pastors. 
We are grateful for the legacy which Charlie Milford and Alan Lehman, as well as the many other gifted ministers, auxiliary staff, and dedicated laypersons leave for us. Your first 50 years have proven to be completely Baptist in the very best sense of the word. You have worked and served together, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and ministering to the needs of the community, and you have celebrated joys together and weathered a few storms along the way. What a wonderful foundation for another 50 years together. What do we see in the next 50 years? Though we obviously cannot read the future, we do have a vision. We see, first, a wonderful and long relationship ministering together with you. I was thinking like five years. <laughs> your welcome has been warm and genuine, and your trust, your courage, and your excitement have created for us an environment which feels like a homecoming, a place where we look forward to putting down some roots. We see and sense also a vision of growth here which is not ours alone, but which is stirring through this congregation. Growth has many facets, spiritual, fiscal, social, and physical, and we feel an awareness of the need to move forward slowly but intentionally, seeking more maturity in all of these areas. We see an older generation who is willing to dream new dreams, but has the wisdom of experience to help us apply caution and integrity to our efforts. Not that 75 is old, but keep in mind that those that were 75 years old reading this that day are now 97 years old. We see a younger generation who's already providing energy and excitement which are necessary for our growth and who are also parenting a new generation of children and youth who will be our future. You recognize that the third graders that were reading this letter are now serving on the personnel committee and as deacons in this congregation. Does that blow y'all's minds? We sense a desire in Park Road Baptist Church to maintain a healthy balance between remaining who we are, claiming what is distinctive about our style of worship, leadership, and service, yet pressing toward who in Christ we might yet become. Where will we be in 50 more years? We cannot begin to imagine the world in the year 2050, though it seems much easier to do in 2023, doesn't it? But because we can't begin to imagine the world in the year 2050, let us concentrate on who we will be for the years which lie ahead. For God's sake, then, let us continue to be Park Road Baptist Church, together in heart and soul, and this will always be enough. Grace and peace, Amy Jackstein and Rusting. Let us be kin to one another, and let us sharpen each other because there has never been a better time to be Park Road than right now, right here, as we move into all that is next. May it be so. Amen. 
Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, for all that has been, we give thanks. For all that currently is, we give thanks. And for all that is yet to be, we cannot wait. Give us an eagerness and an excitement as we move into each new day and each new time. Help us to be the people that you need in this world to bring about radical hospitality, social justice, and inclusion of all people. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.